edition of the Media Boat Podcast special presentation of Pixar Madness. It is March. People get mad in March. More specifically, people get mad about brackets in March. I know, Matt. You're not very mad right now. No. I'm not. I'm I'm saving my madness for later. (laughs) It'll come up uh, with some of the movies that we're speaking about today. Oh, yes. Uh, So... If you missed the first episode, we'll explain the premise for you here. So last year we did a bracket of the Disney animated canon. This year, for March, we've chosen to do something a little different. Instead of a bracket, we're doing an ordered list. And instead of Disney animated films, we are doing the Pixar canon. So this includes all Pixar feature releases from 1995 to uh, Coco from last November. Uh, I think we have to now say... Academy Award winner. We'll get Coco. there. We'll get there. We'll talk about um, some Academy Award winners oh, on uh, this will. very uh, on this very podcast here. So, yeah. if you missed the first one, how we're doing this? So yes, we are ultimately going to give you a ranked list of nineteen Pixar films, uh, rated from uh, lowest to highest quality, I guess you could say. And in order to do that, we're going to talk about the films, kind of talk about our reactions to them, how we feel about them, and how we feel they rank in comparison to others. And we're going through chronologically. So for the first episode, we took you from 1995 all the way through to 2003, so from Toy Story to Finding Nemo. Today we're picking up where we left off, and we're discussing 2004's The Incredibles all the way till 2009's Up. Yes. Is that where our cutoff? I, I believe up was 2009, because 2003 yeah. 2010. Correct. So, so yeah. Yes. So this takes us to kind of the mid-period of Pixar films here, where they were they were done. They hit their stride. They really, put it that really, way. really, really did, critically and audience-wise. These are when they made the most money. These are the ones that, like, earned the highest accolades. Well, These maybe are... except for the first of the next group. But these are the ones when you say Pixar that people mm-hmm. usually think of. Yes, they're the they're the the I, I hesitate to name it, but yes, um, a lot of the classics come from this era. Yeah, according to most people. Uh, so we're gonna start by so uh, and when we uh, when we stop talking about like when we finish kind of wrap up talking about each of these films, we're gonna put them somewhere in the vicinity of where we think they're gonna belong on the list. We've divided. The 19 entries into four parts a lower tier a bottom middle tier an upper middle tier and a top tier the cream of the crop but yeah. before we get to that yeah i'm mike he's oh, yeah. matt we're media boat podcast if you've never thank heard us before you. uh that's who we are yes thank you for tuning in we'll plug the regular show at the end of here but uh for uh, now we would not the regular show but our regular show no, no no the regular show is not on anymore i know that canceled uh that guy's doing a, like an adult show on tvs oh we'll, we'll talk about that later um, is that okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, it's off topic. On topic, yes. however, is talking about the Pixar films, and we start today in 2004 with none other than Brad Bird's The Incredibles. Yes, and we have to say this is Brad Bird's The Incredibles because he was the <laughs> writer, producer, director of the of The Incredibles. Man of all trades. Now, a real brief background for the man who is Brad Bird. Red Bird is known in, uh, to be a maestro of animation. Uh, bef- he is mostly known uh, for now, probably for his Pixar work, mm-hmm. uh, notably Incredibles and Ratatouille. 
Uh, but before that, he also directed and wrote uh, the uh, classic animated film The Iron Giant in uh, 1998? 99? I believe 98. But if you haven't seen The Iron Giant, definitely check it out. Check it out. It's Vin great, Diesel great does movie. great work in that thing. <laughs> It's the, it's the only time where his name was apt for what he was what he was portraying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Iron Giant's a classic, but even before that, he was an animator and writer for uh, The Simpsons. Uh, and uh, uh, was and contributed to many of the, the classic seasons on that show. Uh, and some classic episodes under his belt. So yes, animation fans know him. Animation fans love him. And I would argue probably loves him even more after this movie, because The Incredibles, let's put it this way, is inarguably a Pixar classic. Yes. It is one of the ones that people, if you ask a lot of people what their favorite Pixar movie is, this one comes up a lot. And which is funny, because people are saying this, like, when the movie came out, it's very quotable, there's a lot of scenes like that are very iconic, even beyond being just a superhero film. Yeah. It's also a family film. Yes. And the, and those two, like, they may seem very dynamic and opposite, but totally work in this film. Yeah, here we see a lot of Pixar firsts. We see the most human story that they've, ever, that they've ever made, and that's mostly because this is the first movie that they've made that's mostly about humans. Right. Well, There's the, no the inanimate... The first one of them. No inanimate objects, no animals, no insects. This is... About people, about people's problems. It, like you said, it is about a family, and it's it stays that way throughout. And it kind of it hasn't really been followed up the same way uh, the Pixar stuff. I mean, Brave is probably the closest one uh, Pixar in terms movie of about humans human as family much. interaction. Yeah, uh, Brave and Coco, but the, Coco. also Brave and Coco also have this alternate universe going on. Right. Where, like, where, oh, there's also these bears, and oh, there's also these uh, dead skeletons in the, the land of the dead. Right, whereas Incredibles. Incredibles is just about people. That, well, Incredibles puts, like, all that superhero stuff that you would think in the background yeah. right up front. It's also their first period piece. Um, it is arguably. Arguably. It is never <laughs> stated in the film itself when it takes place, but it can be interpreted to be set in the 60s. All the technology, all the cars around them are very 60s style. The outfits, the just the vibe. Because it's eliciting that, it's it's trying to um, to reference that 60s spy movie vibe. Right, even like the intro and the outro mm-hmm. and the music and just the, the blocky stylings of Mr. Incredible. Yeah. It, it's, very, there's a, it's a certain look yes. that is very iconic of a look. It's incredibly stylized, which is good. Because even in 2004... With CG movies, the, the best ones look stylish, like stylized in some way, because it's really hard to replicate realistic humans, especially 2004, in CG. Mm-hmm. So the style gives it a personality, it gives, and it makes it easier on the animators, because technology-wise, man, did they try a whole lot of crazy things in this one. Not only was it the people, but the special effects work is just incredible. I remember, no, no pun intended. <laughs> I remember uh, watching the the DVD commentary, and yes. they basically state that, like, except like they had a, to develop an entire team within Pixar's animators just for effects, starting with this movie. 
Right. There's an entire team dedicated to just mm-hmm. fabric work in this thing. Fabric work, uh, particle effects like smoke, mm-hmm. uh, water effects. It's like they had to do so much because there are so many sets in this movie. And if you're not as familiar with uh, the, the process of making a CG film... A set generally refers to what it means in real life, where this is the big world that the characters are interacting with. Well, the script of The Incredibles calls for so many of these different sets that it was one of those classic Pixar moments where the writers came to the animators and told them this, and the animators said, no, we can't do that. And they said, well, too bad. And so the animators worked extra and made all these locations, and there are so many, and they all look great. Well, we have the house, yeah. the island, yeah. the whole city. Yes. The entire city. Yeah. The indoor, like the, the other indoors, like Edna Mode Studio. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the school. The school where the kids are. <laughs> inside the, the jet. You have, you have not only the whole the, sky sequence with the jet. You have not only the outside perimeter of the island, but the base inside the island is its own set as well. Yeah. It's just, well, enough about the technology, though. Yeah. The, like you mentioned, the, the core of the story here is about a family. And another first for Pixar, it kind of gets to some adult themes. It's it's very adult in the way it, it uh, speaks about the relationship between a husband and wife, between Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. It go, even touches on some suggested infidelity. I mean, it goes places that Pixar hadn't gone. And, it's and, also their first PG-rated film. Well, it also does something that uh, PG films normally don't do, and that is put kids in danger. Well, yeah, I brought this up to you off podcast a while ago, because that's one of the things that's interesting about this movie. Brad Bird is very much a student of the of 80s filmmaking, mm-hmm. and one of the things in 80s family films is that kids got in danger all the time. It was a normal thing. I mean, the entire plot of The Goonies is essentially that. Yeah. Um, but... Towards the 90s and into the 2000s, that became less of a thing. I think with the pressure of parental groups, more family movies had kids not really necessarily in any real danger. Even Disney got away from that after a while. And so this actually puts puts the, the two children, uh, Dash and Violet, into some serious, dangerous situations well, where they have to fend for themselves. I mean, yes, they are superheroes, which does mm-hmm. kind of change the, the, the narrative there. Yeah, but at the but same time, it it's not something it, you see all, like every day. But they, yeah, but at least the film still puts it in perspective by having the mom basically tell her children that it's not like all the TV shows right. you see. Like they can and they will kill you if given the chance. The movie itself is like almost like Brad Bird doing a commentary on that. Right. Basically, like why are, why are we portraying these kids as being completely in, in like completely safe when they're not going to be safe all mm-hmm. the time. So there's the, the themes about family and, uh, like, even the kids have their own arcs. Like, Violet, you know, starts out very shy. She gains her confidence by the end by being able to master her powers. And uh, Dash has his whole arc about how he can compete. He feels like he can't compete in school if he can't use his powers. He feels like he can't be one of the kids if he can't. He can't fit in. Yeah. He can't fit in because of he feels different. And the father and the, and the mother both have their arcs as well. I mean, Mr. Incredible, he really wants to get back in it. But the government literally won't, super, won't let superheroes do their thing. And so, yeah. And, right. and then, of course, the, the mom has to be okay with her situation as well, with, with her relationship with her, her husband and her kids mm-hmm. is changed uh, by her kind of going out and fighting with them and getting closer. 
it's 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 a parable about like well the, the the family needs to interact with each other it's the family needs to stay get closer and learn about each other in order to like into to survive and they do and let's not forget the opposite uh, of this is uh, in Bucky in the villain who has an art yeah where his whole I mean that's that's one of the things is that there's just so much to talk about this, this movie is very layered it's, more layers than a, than a wedding cake <laughs> yeah sure. I'm not More layers than your, <laughs> than your grandma's bean dip recipe. Whoa, I don't know about that. Um, Actually, nom, my grandma nom. never made a bean dip. Um, nom, nom, nom. Um, nom, nom. But yes, uh, it, it's just that, yeah, like, yeah, the villain even has a, has a pretty great arc about, you know, he, he was a fan of Mr. Incredible growing up, and it's just, it's, he, it, instead of, like, he, it's just like, he's such a different person that he feels like he needs to replace him as the superhero for super villain that he couldn't be. Right, and, and that goes with an underlying theme of this film, which is betrayal through through and throughout. Yeah. Uh, betrayal from Mr. Incredible to his fan. Betrayal of the mom, the mom to yeah. the husband. Betrayal of the kids to their parents that they have to hide their powers. And of course, all of this is kind of like skirting around the fact that, yes, this is a superhero movie. <laughs> there are awesome fights. There are, there are like crazy, like crazy twists and like it's the most action heavy Pixar movie that they've made to date it might as well be an action film we are getting a sequel uh, to this we should note right here it has not uh, been released yet but uh, we have had teaser trailers trailers are released and I'm glad they're doing it because it's one of the few Pixar films that kind of leaves you off wondering what would the next thing that these characters do is because so much of what Pixar does is self-contained stories Mm-hmm. This is kind of not that. It well, is, especially, but it doesn't need to be because... But especially at the end, because they basically bring the superheroes back. And so what is the world going to... How is the world going to react, react to that? To that. That now that there's a very, very like visible superhero family saving the world now, what? Do, yeah, how does the government react? How do people react? Etc. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, it seems like it's going to focus more on um, the mother, right? But Elastigirl. But coming back to this, Matt, how would you react when seeing the film? Oh man, uh, I mean, I was kind of the right age for it when it came <laughs> out. I mean, we would have been teenagers, right? And that's the great thing about this film is it kind of it, it works on a lot of different levels. Uh, like you know, you can enjoy it as the action film. You can enjoy it as this as a comedy. You can enjoy it as a family th- film, and uh, so yeah, I remember liking it a whole lot when it came out. I mean, I remember everybody really enjoying it, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that's constantly shown on TV. And I swear, everybody I know has like it on tape or DVD, and so it's like it. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's always been around. It's one of the most played Pixar films, I would assume. Yeah, I have the same reaction. Just yeah. coming out of the film, I just remember being like... Because it was around the same time that a lot of superhero, superhero films were coming out, but they were all very mediocre. Yeah, and it's important to note that this is before the modern superhero movie explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, years, years, years and years before. This was four years before Iron Man 1? Yes. So yeah, that's kind of a timetable for you, just like in the film... Humans have basically written off superheroes. Right, we're talking Europa. about like Daredevil and uh, X Men yeah. Two and and Catwoman, and Catwoman, and yeah, some and the first Fantastic stuff. Four go around and the dark and uh, the Batman Begins would be the following year. Uh, yes, two thousand five. So yeah, it, it, it's it was it was kind of 
2006, actually. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a superhero movie in a time where we didn't have a lot of good superhero movies. It was a time when superhero movies were still seen as campy and weren't taking serious yeah. yet. And but in then a the way, comes they along play and... off of that camp, though, yeah. in a lot of ways. It, it knows what it is. Right, but superhero, but The Incredibles feels like the first, like, serious take on a superhero genre. Which is, which is funny, considering how, how not serious it can be at moments. Oh, yeah, I mean, there, there's several of, like, really great hilarious scenes, like when they're driving down the freeway. Yeah. Or Frozone, trying to get a super suit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of memorable yeah. lines, a lot of quotable stuff. But we gotta wrap this one up, so where do we put it? In the in the list of nineteen here, which zone zone do we place it? Now, whenever I uh, mention my top five, I always include the Incredibles. Now, I don't uh, usually because there's so many of them that I like a little better. It does hold up surprisingly well, and mm-hmm. so I think it's definitely contender for the top zone here. But when we have to consider, the only thing that we put so far up there is Toy Story two. Uh, no. The no. only thing we have up in the top five is Finding Nemo. Oh, that's right. Finding Nemo is there, because it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so the question is, is whether we put it alongside Finding Nemo, or if we put it below just for now, and then maybe with the chance to move it up later. Well, okay. Just because I know what's coming up, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with putting it just below at that six slot, just, out, okay. just outside the reach. I'm fine with that, too. Although I think I probably rank Incredibles higher than some of the films we're going to be talking about later. Uh... I don't know. We'll see. We, we got a lot of good... Well, maybe not to this podcast. Yeah, but, but soon. But it, it's very soon. A soon. lot of the good... So yeah, films I'm okay with putting it at the very, very top of the second echelon there. Yeah. Um, and leaving it there for now. But do not be surprised if that creeps its way up later. Um, on the last edition of this, uh, we're going to be moving around kind of the lists here um, a little more than we're doing right now. We're Right now, we're just kind of gauge... Like we're just kind of using this uh, these zones to gauge where we're at mentally, so that way it's easier to rank. Right, and yeah. even though we're putting it at number six, it's or, not necessarily going to stop. Yeah, there. it's not going to stay there, and I'm going to fight to put it up I'm there in the top sure. five. Sure. All right, but let's so, move on. That takes oh, well, us real briefly though uh, on the Incredibles. Yeah, it did win uh, the the animated feature uh, for animation uh, at the Oscars. Yes, uh, but and one for sound editing as well. We haven't been talking about that. We didn't yeah. talk about uh, uh, we, Oscars. We, yeah, we did. Well, we did mention it for Finding Nemo because it was the first one. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say because it's important to note that the animated film Oscar did not exist prior to two thousand two. Yeah, the two thousand two ceremony. Yes, and Shrek was the first one to win it. Yeah, so <laughs> Shrek won, but then thankfully, yes, Pixar did take it for Finding Nemo, and starting then have dominated the category. Yes, uh, except for some very strange omissions. Uh, but yes, uh, Incredibles, yeah, definitely earned that one, I think, that year. I mean, what was it up against Shark Tale? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So That's only half a joke. I think it was actually legitimately nominated. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's get out of uh, 2004 and let's move up to 2005. Six? Six? I think it was six. Yes, 2006 is. Oh boy, here we go. Cars! <laughs> Okay. The movie Cars. We have to talk about Cars, and the, so, the madness starts here because there are three Cars movies on this list. So let's start out how this thing even came about. Oh man! So Cars. Long story short, John Lasseter loves driving. He loves specifically driving on Route sixty six. 
Um, and he had a little what of a what would what do you call it? A sabbatical, you could say. Yeah, well, kind of like the one he's taking now. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, right after Toy Story, he came in and basically saved Toy Story two. Yeah, he kind of in like a matter of like three months. Mm-hmm. He basically it wore him down, and so he basically took himself and his family away on a road trip. Road trip. So while he was there, he learned to love Route sixty six and its associated. Desert scenescapes and small towns. He fell in love with it. And so, Cars is essentially his ode to the small town by the interstate. Right. Except it and the characters within it faces the uh, the, the, the fear of being basically paved over. Like having this, the, the freeway move into town and it becoming a blip on the radar instead of a city that people would visit. Right. And it also talks about how... how Basically, small towns got pushed aside once, like, highways come in, people want to get there faster, and just big cities became a big thing. Even though it's not specifically shown, it's definitely really hinted at and, like, becomes a major theme throughout the film. So, even though Pixar made Finding Nemo, I'm going to make a really bad joke here, even though Pixar made Finding Nemo, Cars is their first fish-out-of-water film. (laughs) 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 Uh, So, yes, your main character, your Lightning McQueen, comes from the world of... Stock car racing, basically NASCAR. Yes. And so um, he's basically uh, put there because he got, what was it? It was like he got in trouble for something. No, no. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he was in a three-way tie oh, right. at the at the Piston Cup Finals. And so they had a three-car race-off like a week, la- like two weeks later or a week later. And so on his way to that race. Uh, he falls out of the back oh, of his trailer that's truck what it is. That's and what it ends is, right. up in the small town of Radiator Springs. For some reason, I thought it was like a punishment, but no, you're right. That's what it was. Yeah. See how uh, how much I love Cars already with this, with this yeah. starting this conversation, not even remembering the basic plot. Yeah, but <laughs> the whole point of it is is really funny because it's not about going fast; it's about learning to take things slow. Yeah, it's basically Lightning McQueen learns how to live in a small town. A fast car learning to slow down yeah. every once in a while. So so all of this, on paper, sounds like a pretty solid movie. Like, I think it's a very interesting concept. It's not a uh, a, a vibe that you get a lot, especially from anima- animated films. It's, it's, it's such an interesting story, but it has one flaw that has plagued the franchise, and... Its reputation among fans of Pixar and animation, and but, his but name. But it's fair. They, 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 they name, got it done, though. And his name they is. They got it done. Toe Mater. <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy <laughs> plays a tow truck, who is absolutely the Mater. most insufferable character that he's Pixar has funny. ever created. So okay. he's funny at first. I'll give you that, and there are the occasional gag. But there's just so much of him. And he's so overwhelming. Oh, wait till you get to Cars 2. <laughs> and I know it's way worse in the second movie, and I know that. But, man, even in the first movie, it's just it just hampers... I feel like it hampers the vibe of that film. To the point where I'm just not a fan of it. Right, but it that, but it plays off of Lightning McQueen's yeah. very serious tone. It does. His, they uh, like needed basically a the, contract. the big guy, right? The, the the big tow truck, make everything funny. He's a contrast. He's comic relief, 
Um, it almost kind of turns the movie into a little bit of a buddy film, but not all the way. They almost go there. They become close friends. The second act the is basically a buddy film. But it also tries to be an ensemble film as well. Uh-huh. You have a lot of the cars in town with very, very specific personalities. Kind of Bugs Life-esque in the way that they're tangential, but also kind of important. Mm-hmm. But they're not super important. Um, and, like, they're pretty memorable. Um, the there's there there's enough of those those characters where I'm like okay I could still remember Luigi the tire store the, the character Flo the Flo the, the who has the diner and because of course she does because her name is Flo yes. uh, which is a gas station essentially right, right. she the diner is the gas station because they're yes. cars. Oh yeah, we should probably mention that this is a world we never actually address this. This is a no, world made of just cars. Yes, hence the name. Uh, no one is not a car. In fact, even the insects are cars. Yeah. Like, everything is a car. Now, how did this come about? Well, fans have a theory about that, but we're not going to go into that. We're basically, um... <laughs> Just accept we this accept is a world full of cars. Is, yeah. We don't think about where kids come from, or <laughs> or parents, or marriage, and all that stuff. Does somebody no. manufacture the cars? Do cars manufacture cars? See, this is the rabbit hole we don't go down. No. <laughs> so, oh, by the way, guys, don't do something that I did once. Don't Google image search cars. Because you are guaranteed, and I mean guaranteed, because I tried this multiple times, you're guaranteed to see fan illustrations of what people think the in, inner organs of cars look like. I am, not making, I am not making this up. I was looking for our images for our website for a story about cars, and I could not stop finding those pictures of people drawing internal organs like bladders and stomachs and hearts I've for these those. cars and it was disgusting i've seen those anyways which brings us to a kind of a, a ancillary point that we should bring up here this movie spawned a merchandise empire empire this is yeah. by far the most popular film that pixar made up to that point maybe still in terms of merchandising and just impact it made on specifically little boys. This was their Frozen. This was definitely their Frozen before Frozen. Yes. Like, it, you could not go to a toy store and not be just overwhelmed with the amount of car store like toys. Still, to this day. Oh, yeah. I mean, thanks to, of course, the two, sig- uh, two, sequels. two sequels and, you know, spinoff shorts and everything that, the, that they've done since. But it's still just such a huge power in the toy world. And because it's brilliant, make car- kids already like cars. Make these cars also characters. How come nobody had done it before? It's kind of amazing that it took that long. Yeah. And Pixar was able to capitalize on it. Well, we had Knight Rider. Uh, yeah, kind of. We had the Magic School one Bus. One character. Well, also one character. This basically we had the created DeLorean. an entire world of cars that talked. We had Ecto-1. That's like catnip for a five-year-old boy. I know. And turns out it was. But yeah, uh, anyways, as for the film itself, there are moments uh, that I that I like about it. I think, like I mentioned, I think the story as a whole is pretty strong. And I think the voice, uh, the voiceover, uh, some, of the, some of the best uh, voice acting they've had. Yeah. Um, Specifically, uh, 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 Paul Newman plays the old elder car. Uh, one of his last call. roles before he died. But actually. it was a good call because great call. He, because he's amazing. Most people 
like known as the car guy. And 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 he got to be. I get. I believe he got to pick the car that he was. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they're all like vaguely based on real cars. Not all of them are, mm-hmm. but uh, you could definitely see. Okay, there. That's clearly like a Corvette. That's clearly a Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, Mater's obviously a Ford truck. Yeah, obviously an old rusty Ford truck. And yeah, there there are moments of of genuine uh, emotion with with spe- specifically with some of the. The stuff between uh, 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 Lightning McQueen and the girl, the, the Holly, uh, Holly the Porsche. I, I, her name is it's Holly Hunter. So <laughs> not, Holly. no, that's not her name in the movie. <laughs> I forget what it is. Sally, Sally, Sally. Which is funny because she's not a Mustang. Yeah, but she's Sally. Mustang Sally. But anyways, we're talking way too much about cars. How did you feel about cars when it came out? I'm I'm actually curious because. That might be different for, uh, I can remember initially liking it and then kind of disliking it every time I saw it after. See, when it first came out, I was fine with it. Yeah. Like, I, like, I knew going into it that it gotten, that it was, like, sort of the lowest Pixar rated. That's the other thing about this. Yeah. yeah. I should mention that. that uh, 70, even when it came out, critics were like, uh, what happened? It, this is fine, but this is not to the level of quality we expect. Yeah. Uh, ended up with a 73 on Metacritic. Yeah. Uh, when it first came out, it was like a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and people were like, oh, like, this is a misstep, but it was like, <laughs> but still in the 90s, it's gotta be good, right? I mean, yeah. And, and, and it, for, like, upon initial viewing, it is good. It has a great story, it, like, the characters are very memorable, and there's a lot going for it. It's definitely a layered story. And you have to keep in mind the context when it was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely looks good compared to some of the crap that was coming out from contemporary studios in the mid two thousands. Let's consider the output of DreamWorks back then. Let's was consider the Kung Fu Panda was after this. That was two thousand eight. So yeah, we hadn't gotten to the point where all these studios were really pulling out the stops yet. Mm-hmm. Pixar was still in two thousand six the only game in town, and so even Cars was not quite uh, like at least in comparison to those movies as bad as it could have been. So. Uh, I mean, whether or not, like, the rest of this list, you know... So keep that in mind with the rest of these lists, too, because it's just... Even when we say it's not necessarily our favorite, it's still probably much better than its competitors released at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, upon initial release, I actually enjoyed Cars. It was fun. It was a good movie. I had nothing bad about it. What made me hate it more was (laughs) all the rabid merchandise that came after it. And it's the sudden push of putting Mater in a bunch of these shorts on yes. uh, Disney Channel. It's inescapable, and Disney figured out that it was, yeah. and so they used it. It's power. They, they, they slid into it. So it's the, it's the rare instance here where, yeah, you have a Pixar property getting bigger than its britches, you could say. And that's bigger unfortunate. Than its axle? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, it could it, it itself the franchise of cars could learn something from the first car move cars movie I think to maybe uh, stop living on the the fast uh, glitzy life and maybe maybe just chill out and focus on the things that matter mm-hmm. uh, which from what I understand is the kind of course correction that cars 3 did but we'll get there later oh yeah we'll get there anyways so we need to place this somewhere and I have a gut feeling I know exactly where it needs to be in the lower middle um I don't want to put it at the bottom. Oh, no, it's not the bottom. There are worse to come. Yes. I will admit. So I think lower middle is probably where it will stay. That will put it uh, where Toy Story 1 
mm-hmm. and a bug's life is. That makes sense. And that is about that checks right. checks out. Uh, wow. Did we, are we really putting the, the, uh, the, uh, all the John Lasseter directed movies in the same category right now? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> this is nothing against John Lasseter. This is totally against John Lasseter. It's just that his protege is kind of ended up beating him in his own game. Basically, which was the purpose. People learned from John mm-hmm. Lasseter, which yeah. is exactly what he's supposed it was to exactly, do. I mean, to quote, Jet, uh, for, quote uh, Yoda from uh, the, the Last Jedi, I mean, what's the purpose of Masters if the, their, uh, the people they teach don't usurp them? You know? Right. It's like that's the whole idea. Anyway. Well, I think it was another quote was. If a teacher doesn't teach his person, is he a good <laughs> yeah. teacher? No, it's not, turns out. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, that is probably where we'll leave it uh, for cars. Yeah, it's definitely not at the bottom. But then again, there's a whole lot. But now we happily move away from it. Well, for the time being. We'll return to it not once, but twice more. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we get to go to the following year, 2007, for. Brad one of Bird. the most heartwarming and one of my personal favorites, uh, Ratatouille. Yes. Brad Bird returns. Brad Bird returns, but not necessarily on the terms that he probably wanted to. No. Uh, the story of Ratatouille is long and complicated. We'll try to simplify this. Uh, the director was replaced. There was a different director originally on this project uh, due to things just, I guess, not working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were replaced, and Brad Bird was put in as a, as a pinch hitter. But I think the movie may be better for it. I think Brad Bird, like, just in his own right, brings a lot of heart yeah. to every film. And, and he humanity. brings a lot of humanity, yes. That's the thing that I feel like his... I, I want to say that a lot of his uh, like input on this movie is 100% that there is so much of a human story going on at the same time as the rat story. Right. But even the Rack story feels very human-like. Yeah. And both are great. So, before we get too ahead of ourselves, so yeah, Ratatouille, uh, released in 2007, uh, notable for its struggles in the production department, but when it came out, uh, instantly uh, critically revered. Uh, yes. Definitely a 180 turn from the reaction that Cars got. Uh, people fell instantly in love with this thing. And yeah, it's easy to see why. Um, it's, it's a great story about food and people who make and and chefs and working in a restaurant in france and rats weirdly enough <laughs> you're missing the big theme of it though yes it's 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 following your dream it really really is it really is it's it's a movie about the, the that everybody has the ability to do the thing that they that they've always dreamed about doing yes uh and but you know sometimes you need help to get there yeah Maybe you need, like, a little bit of push or maybe a pull on your hair, literally. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it's kind of two parallel stories. It's the story about the rat, Remy, yep. who uh, wants to kind of break out of his, the, the, the normal life of his rat family and kind of gets to... He wants to escape from the rat of, pack. Yes, the rat pack. Uh, and through some... Um, through some um, um, <laughs> Uh, unforeseen unforeseen incidents at, at home he gets to uh, because he's separated from his family yes and ends up in, in Paris yes you know where all the top chefs work yes. and meanwhile he runs into and later teams up with a young um, a, a young man who starts as a uh, janitor in a restaurant in a major uh, a major uh, yes major 
uh, a French restaurant uh, owned by, owned formerly owned by deceased famous chef Gusto Gusto who uh, used to be kind of the thing like kind of like the, a, the uh, chef master. The Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, like, like, but I, I'm just trying the, to think the of Mario Batali. Maybe a male um, a Julia Child. Yeah. Whereas, like, someone so known and renowned for cooking has passed away, and thus his image is being now used for things maybe he wouldn't have been on board for. Mr. Chef Boyardee. <laughs> yeah, he's basically being Boyardee. <laughs> and so uh, this 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 kid though, he seems to have an interest in cooking. But by the way, the kid's name. Alfredo Linguini. Linguini, comma, Alfredo. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, as the film progresses, you find out that he's actually related to Gusto and that the restaurant that he uh, is uh, working in, in, in like, is technically owned by, should be owned by him. Uh, but half the fun of this movie is seeing all this play out because it definitely has a much more complicated plot than I think any of the films we've talked about yet. Yeah. It winds around... Because you have to get all the characters to meet. You have to establish the premise that the rat is helping uh, Linguini cook. You have to establish that they train to get good at it. You have to establish that the rat can <laughs> speak, read English, understand. <laughs> yes. And then able to cook himself before he could teach someone else to cook. One of the things about Ratatouille is it requires an enormous suspension of disbelief. Oh yeah. Not only for the basic idea that this rat can help, can move this man's body by pulling on his hair, but also that a rat can cook at all. And that no one, and that he is totally okay with a rat being in the kitchen this entire time. You know the rat's a metaphor, right? Well, is he though? Because that's the thing. Is it's, a, He's, this yeah. film almost almost provides evidence that there is that there is a <laughs> line of rats that have been helping chefs for years, <laughs> right? Yes. So yeah, it's it's incredibly layered in a different way than uh, than um, Incredibles. Uh, Incredibles is layered. It's layered in the way that you just there's so much going on in like just story wise and characters and. It's not necessarily an ensemble piece. I think that it's mostly about the core three characters, which are the rat, Linguini, and the uh, the love interest of sorts, Colette. Uh, Colette, who is introduced as kind of the 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 the, the, the mentor. Mentee? Mentor, yes, I guess it becomes his mentor uh, because of her strength in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it becomes kind of half a love story for a little bit, and it becomes. Uh, and then it ends with with everybody kind of figuring out that they're they get there what they want but not I don't know it's really weird it's 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 kind of a happy ending but it's not a hundred percent a happy ending. Well, it, it is a happy ending because um, the heroes you're following eventually get to own their own restaurant. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a bittersweet ending because like the whole like rat family aspect and they have to shut down their stoves. Yeah. But I think oh. the problem about talking about this one, it's less about the set pieces. It's this one's less about the moments that are memorable. It's and more it's about more just the story itself. The story. The overall story. The char- just the whole yeah. thing in itself. The characters are relatable. Everybody Which is, is, funny is charming in their own way. It's funny because it's actually like 
cooking where each individual <laughs> ingredient itself yeah. may not look appetizing or may not taste good, but when it all comes together, it's amazing. Yeah, I think ultimately what uh, what we're kind of what we're kind of getting at here is that yeah, all of this it, the challenges are clear that they had challenges writing this film because yes. it is kind of all over the place, but it benefits from it because it's almost more realistic that way. For a movie that's completely bonkers and could never happen, it feels real. Oh, and this won't be the first time they ever run into story okay. challenges. Well, it wasn't the last. Ever place uh, yeah. directors. It wasn't at the, the first. Moment. It wasn't the last for that. That's no. for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really, really tough. I think what we're finding out is really, really tough to talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that um, I reacted to very strongly when it first came out because by that time, by the time two thousand seven came around, I had. You know, I had matured to the point where I could tell, I could tell a, like, I started actually seeking out movies, more challenging movies and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I was finally the right age to, like, understand, oh, this is a good movie and this is a bad movie. And uh, I think even the the, the whole, like, speech at the end that the the food critic, food critic said kind of stuck with me because it in itself is about criticism. Yep. And it's, it almost is, you can easily put that towards the movie itself. That, like, it's when something's so beyond belief that you just have to readdress how you even approach criticizing and evaluating. Well, yeah, it's also <laughs> parkens back to the whole thing that uh, the whole, like, even beginning thing, beginning sentence that anyone can cook, yeah. but not everyone should cook. But <laughs> it just means that greatness can literally come from anywhere. anywhere. We're talking about a, like, a country rat. Becoming a sewer gutter rat, yeah, to working in a fine dining restaurant and blowing away the toughest of food critics. That is something that that can be like broken down into greatness coming from anywhere. Yeah, no, no matter where it is, it's just, as long as you have passion for something, that greatness will will follow. It's almost the polar opposite of cars in almost oh, yeah. every single way because it's a movie that. On paper, sounds like a disaster, uh, and somehow works. Yes. Whereas Cars is the exact opposite. Well, no, that's harsh. Yes, uh, but, but just just put just put it plainly because we have to move on. Yeah, we love this film. Yeah, this is a great film. I think it's easy to say we're gonna put it in the top five. We should put it there, uh, but yeah, uh, I think we can put it there for now. I mean, it might be threatened, considering some heavy hitters coming up, um, but. But I think there's a lot to talk about. But yeah, we don't have time to really go further into it. No, but yeah, we have three, two, uh, two other films to get to. We have two other films to get through, uh, but they won't take as long as this one. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll put Ratatouille up in the top five for now. Yeah. Um, with with the right to move it later. But yeah, uh, we really really like it. Yeah, that means Ratatouille will uh, join Finding Nemo in our top five so far. All right. That sounds good. So we now jump. From 2007 to 2008. Yes, they've become annual now, folks. Uh, starting last year, I guess. Because this is uh, the second Disney deal. What you're seeing here is is the first Disney deal has evaporated. There was a chance that it wasn't going to be renewed. And then Disney decides to buy the company. Right. I think this is the first film right, that they started. The first one was released after the Disney buy. Right. No, but this is but, uh, the one we're talking about right now. Oh. Wally is the first one they started after yes, that deal. correct. So yes, 2008's Wall-E. Uh, so this um, is, again, another one of those where a lot of people will mention this in their top of all Pixar films. 
And the reason why is because the studio went for broke on this one. Yeah. They spent so much on technology. There is clearly a message that this movie is their most outright political movie. It's their most outright social like movie. Social commentary. Commentary movie. Not, not just on how we treat planet Earth, but also how we treat ourselves. All of that, and also it manages to be the movie that most references cinema as an art form. You have a character that is ostensibly a robot, <laughs> but is obsessed with classic movies. Right. And the classic musical. And wants his life so much, so, so much to be like a musical in the classic, in the classic sense. Um, it's just a movie that bewilders me for some reason. I don't love it as much as everybody else seems to love it. But man, are there great things in this film. The space dance is why people yes. love this thing. The fact that a human doesn't show up till about... An hour into it? <laughs> yes, thank God. So it, yeah, it also why you could easily divide the the, the film into in the halves and the I would call it the good half and the bad half. But the, the um, robot half and the human half. The <laughs> robot stuff is amazing, and yeah. a lot of the talk when it came out and still about this movie was Pixar basically made a silent film for the majority of this movie. The stuff with the robots has zero dialogue because it doesn't need it. Well, there, there's some... Like, you can make out what they're saying. Yeah. But essentially, yeah, it's robot speak. And there's so much communicated between their movements and even facial it's, animations. It's all in the eyes, man. Everything all is super, super emotive for a robot. And I remember the kind of the commentary at the time was talking about how... It was amazing that we had gotten to the point with animated films where you could tell a story like that. Mm-hmm. We've we've made it is essentially what what a lot of people were this saying. Was, this was every critic going, "This is it. We've yeah. done it. Pixar, Pixar has done it. They've reached it. the top of the mountain." So yeah, um, as for the movie itself, yeah, the, the it, we kind of refer to the two halves because what it does kind of turn into it starts as the story about a trash robot who is on the on earth after the years after the apocalypse has happened and mm-hmm. uh, the humanity is wiped out or so we think and basically this this robot's job is to clean it up clean up the mess that we left and we left a huge mess kind of early early hints that it will have an environmental message is all these pile of trash that Wally has to deal with but uh, Sent to Earth and to to meet Wally and to uh, to to plant a plant to like try to start. Uh, no, 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 no. Is that Eve, what Eve no. is doing? No, Eve goes to Earth to determine if there is All life. Right, to find out if there is life, and she finds yes. out there is none. Uh, until Wally until presents her with they find a thing a thing so the, yeah the green thing the first half is great because yeah it's this it's this it's this uh, them basically learning about each other by emoting and making robot noises and and kind of you could say falling in love they kind of do in a robot way yeah and then the second half or, or kind of more like closer to act three is you have them basically finding humanity has now uh, set up shop on a space station. This is where Eve is sent from. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find out humanity has gotten fat and immobile. 
Uh, lazy. Let's just lazy. put it that way. They, they're... Everything's been automated. Everything's yes. been it's... basically done for them for the past yeah. millennia, you could say. A Costco-esque mega corporation. Oh, uh, by and large. Bu- yeah, by and large, has uh, basically taken over everything in humanity, and they run the show now. Yep. And everything's automated, kind of like the ultimate, like... Just, what would happen if things kept going the way they're going right now? Is the ultimate utopia dystopia? Yeah, you could say that. And that's where I kind of jump off the film. It's like, I get what it's trying to say, but man, does you, it have to slap you in the face with I it? Say, you, just, you don't want to be bashed over the head with this, it really, really with this message. And also, I kind of hate the idea that an animated, that even if it's an animated film, it exists in a world where live action is still live action. Because uh, whenever they show a television screen, there are real live action actors in it. Yes. And that still bugs me to this day. I hate that. It's like, no, if you're portraying an animated world, everything has to be animated. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, there's a huge disconnect between the CG people that I'm supposed to care for and the real people who are apparently the same. Right. It's like, no. No, I, I get what you're saying. It just bugged me. It bugged me at the time, and it bugs me now. <laughs> But that, that doesn't bug me as much. Like yeah. I, I get it. I get why it bugs you, but I also <laughs> kind of get why it's used. Yes. Because it's showing the disconnect of where we are now, where we, where the the film has gone. And it does end with some hope. Yeah. It does end where basically, if I'm remembering correctly, that they decide that if they can basically re replant on the earth they'll send the humans back or something yeah yeah and so there there's hope for humanity by the end of it all i just wish it wasn't so politically messaged i mean that's the problem is because a lot of it i agree with it's just the problem is is that that doesn't make for a really fun film and it's just such a strong okay intro. but does it make for a good kids film i don't and know and then then it gets to the, the, the question of is Wally a kids film or is it an adult film? And I think it struggles with that. It, I think it's just where you see Pixar maybe maybe biting off way more than they can chew. Well, because it's it's animated for the kids, but the messages and everything like sublayered in it is definitely geared towards Very every adult. adult. Very adult. So it tries to yeah it tries to have its cake and eat it too in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, which means it's really tonally weird, but at the same time. Yes, I admit that it is quite an undertaking. It is quite amazing, the thing that they made. And it's probably still pretty amazing to look at and consider. That they even, like, it even exists. Which means we have to rank it. Uh, uh, so, is this a top five film? I think that it depends on whether I'm ranking it by my weird gripes or whether... Or reminding myself that this is just comparing it to its other films. In that case, I think that despite the things that I don't care for, it's probably an upper middle on this list. Funny, because that's where I put it too. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to necessarily call it top five because I think that there are five movies better than it. Well, yeah, whenever whenever people ask me top five, Wally's not in there for me. No. But I always say, it's like right on the edge, though, where I could see myself putting it in there. Yeah. But there's just several things that stick out to me that 
that keep me from putting it's it up there. Not quite up there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm okay with putting it there because yeah, like my 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 gripes with it are pretty minor uh, compared. But to the the things you can say about it all still hold up, and I think yeah, a lot of that movie is still still looks and sounds and just is amazing in a lot of ways. So that means we put it next to Incredibles, Toy Story two, and Monsters Inc. I think that's right. You think that sounds I about 100% right? I hundred percent think that that sounds right. That sounds about right to me. All right, let's move on then to the next year, and we have a Pixar milestone with the next film, two thousand nine's Up. Uh, we say milestone uh, very lightly here because this was Pixar's first Best Picture nominee. Right. So, there is an asterisk to this. I know you're getting there. Yeah. There's an asterisk to this because it is also the fir- uh, first year where uh, the, 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 the Academy, Academy extended the nomination list from 5 to 10. A.K.A. the Dark Knight rule. Yeah. So, yeah. The theory at the time was that it was for... Maybe movies that were necessarily Oscar bait, prestige films, to get involved in the best picture conversation. So your superhero films, your action films, your comedies, or your animated films could be considered just as much as the live action dramas. Right. It was also a way for the Academy to uh, get more people to watch because, you know, some of your favorite movies would show up. And also, I say it's the Dark Knight rule because in 2008... When the Dark Knight came yes. out, everyone says the best super film, superhero film ever. I mean, it, it did get Keith Ledger the posthumous uh, yes. supporting role uh, act, um, win uh, for acting in a supporting role, but yeah, it that's basically where the controversy started, and the Academy listened and said, "Okay, we'll extend it to a possibility of ten. That doesn't necessarily need to be ten, but we have ten slots available." Right, and that continues to this day. Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, the film, however, um, is a more of a nuanced beast. And man, uh, it has its fans, that's so, for sure. So can we split this movie up between the first ten minutes and the next hundred minutes? <laughs> I like to. I like to do that. I think that's a little unfair, though. Yes, okay. like, uh, not unlike WALL-E, uh, this movie is kind of two things. It is a story about the relationship between an elderly man and a young boy. Be careful. You know what I mean. <laughs> I know a friendship, you could yes. say. And it is also an adventure movie. It's an adventure movie in the, in the way of kind of like, well, movies they don't make anymore. Like a pulpy adventure film, kind of like the stuff that Indiana Jones is loosely based on. Yeah, I was going to bring Where it that becomes, up. yeah, it becomes like a movie about... Going on an adventure. And it's, it uses the youth of the boy and the... the, the, the Struggles. The, the oldness, for lack of a better word, of the, of the older ma- old man to basically talk about themes of what it means to be young and having an adventurous spirit. Mm-hmm. And ultimately accepting death when it comes. And what that means to accept death. And the death of people you care about. And- which, of course, takes us... We have to talk about the first ten minutes of this movie. Okay, we could probably talk in like yes. an hour and a half about the first ten minutes of this movie, but let's try to sum this up real briefly. So you remember when we talked about the opening of Finding Nemo? How Pixar is just nope. Here we're gonna kill off an entire like school of, of fish eggs at the very beginning to set up this plot. 
Well, this they movie one up that. Yeah, this movie does that the same thing almost and extends it for way too long to make sure that you cry. Basically, and it's amazing. Basically, the first ten minutes is an entire movie in itself. It could be nominated for a short and yeah. win. So, long story short is that well, the short story short story short. short. Uh, so it sets up the relationship between the the main character uh, Carl. Carl. And uh, his house. And his house and his... Uh, wife. Future wife. It set up, it starts with their kids and you get to see them meet yeah. and you get to see them become friends and you get to see them go on dates and then get married and then own this house together and then you get to see... Them grow old together. Work grow at the old zoo. together and ultimately she passes away. Spoiler alert. he lives on. So this is the ground that the rest of the movie is built on. It establishes that this man has basically is done. He is alone in his house and he doesn't want to deal with any human interaction ever. He is set in his ways. He's not moving yeah. for anyone. Even when people even when the corporations start building around his house, it's just this is the story of an old man stuck in his ways. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so when the construction forces him to move his house, he doesn't care. He's stubborn and he stays, uh, which ultimately leads to, of course, the kid uh, who enters his life uh, shortly after that and then leads to strapping a bunch of balloons to their house <laughs> and floating away. And, yeah, that, that leads us to the poster where it's just a house floating in the sky. So yeah, uh, the, and the rest of it is kind of uh, Carl kind of seeking out the place that he was going to visit with his with his wife one day, and they were going to settle down there, and it was going to be where he lived the rest of his time. And in order to find that, they kind of stumble upon an adventure involving a who's the villain supposed to be? He's like an crotchety old man, but he was like a movie star, uh, right? Bronson, I think. Like he was like a he was a Charles Bronson movie star kind of guy. And it involves talking dogs, and then that's when things get kind of on the off the rails. For that's me. when it goes to a super kids movie for me. I mean, it still has this enough, I think, there a substance there for for adults not to completely check out. But the rest of the movie doesn't quite have the the same vibe as the first half. There's a colorful bird they're trying to track. Kevin. Down. There's the talking dog. Uh, Doug. Doug. There's then they're trying to get to the falls. Yes. Uh, while keeping the house afloat. Yeah. There, there are there are a few really cool set pieces in this film. There are some memorable character memorable characters. The dog is fun. The yes. dog is fun, and and the, uh, the villain dogs are kind of fun too because they have the the voice decoder things on them, so you can understand what they're saying. But they are saying things that are very dog-like. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of comedy to be mined from that. There's comedy with the bird, Kevin. Uh, I mean, there's things to like about the rest of Up, where I I like Up more than I like Wally, for reference. There's a lot of strong material in there. It's just, man, the first bit of that movie is just so good. that It's a no-brainer why it got nominated that year. So I think even with the asterisk of them extending the category... Mm -hmm. I still think it's a pretty strong contender when you're thinking about animated films. Yeah. I mean, that like like we keep saying, the first time minutes of that film is the heart that pumps the rest of it. Right. 
It's just that when you get to about the second act, right in the middle of it, yeah, that to your midpoint, you and you're like, of, uh, uh, where start are we stretching, now? and you kind of like wonder how we even got here. But then the ending comes back around, and you do have that 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 you know, like I said, that kind of the acceptance of of his his fate, and he chooses just to live there. Yeah, he chooses to stay in the falls where he belongs. But no, he doesn't. Doesn't he? No. The old man? No, he goes back. The house ends up burning, remember? Oh, that's right. You don't even. Yeah. It's that's been a, a while. Yeah, so the house ends up. So, end, end story. Yeah. Uh, the house ends up catching fire oh, and that's burning. Right. Yeah. And so they have to. So they go back, but the old man is not old and alone anymore because he has the kid. Right. Uh, and he gives him, the kid, his last. A badge, right? The Ellie Award. It's kind of the surrogate family ending kind yeah. of thing. The the you're not alone anymore. Yeah. Type of ending. Okay, so yeah, you still get your happy ending, uh, but it, th- there are. I think what I'm thinking of is that there are, there there are fan readings where you could read that ending differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with yeah, uh, but. But yeah, ultimately, it comes back around to that emotional sweet spot by the end. And I think I think maybe that's the reason why people t- hold it in such high regard. Is it's definitely a, a, a master class of how Pixar can really pull on those heartstrings. Right. Now, uh, we have to wrap it up here real briefly. So, we have to rank this. Now, when it oh, first man. came out, and everyone was praising it, definitely top five film easily. Question is, does it still hold up? I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, so that's a hard question for me to answer. I think the fact that you didn't even remember the ending. Yeah, I didn't remember the ending that much. I've seen the beginning a lot. Yes. I've seen the first half of that movie a lot. But yeah, the, 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 the last half, I rarely make it to that far. Right. Um, so I mean, I think it's, to me, it, it lines up right with Wally for me, where it's like, it's definitely Pixar... Firing on all cylinders. It's definitely them doing what they th- what they became known for doing well, mm-hmm. and uh, whereas it doesn't necessarily in the places where it doesn't necessarily work as well for me, I think just the the esteem that people still speak of it, and especially how it opens, I think it has to be probably in that upper middle tier. Yeah. So you're putting it with uh, Wally, yeah. Monster, Monsters Inc. Uh, Incredibles and Toy Story 2? Yeah, I think so. See, like, even within that, those five films, I feel like there's a distinct, like, middle line between them. Yeah, I agree. But... 100%. But we're gonna get there. We'll get there later. Yeah. Yeah, I think for now, that's probably a good place to kind of float it. And then we can kind of do our sorting later. Right, yeah. I, I agree putting in the upper middle there. All right. So that comes this episode to an end. So yeah, that's it for the uh, second part of this four-part series. Uh, so that took us from 2004 all the way to 2009. Next up, we'll be talking about the 2010s, yep. uh, the first half of the 2010s. So you, that uh, we'll start in 2010s, Toy Story 3, and we'll, that'll take us to 20... 2014? 15? I want to say 2015. 2015, which takes us to... Inside Out. Inside Out. Uh, so that will be uh, some hot, hot talk. Because there are really, really good movies on that list. And there are there's some, some stinkers on this yeah, list. Yeah, so there's some hot stinkers there. So get ready for that. But that'll be next week. So uh, if you are looking forward to that, 
It will be on Thursday of next week. We'll have that up on the podcast feed. If you're wondering what that podcast feed is, it is the Media Boat Podcast. If you want to listen to our regular show, which is on every Wednesday and posted on the website every Thursday, uh, that is the Media Boat Podcast. There we talk about film, television, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order, and all the news about them as it breaks. So tune in. You can even watch it live on YouTube. Uh, just search Media Boat Podcast on there. But you can find this podcast and the regular podcast on our uh, on Apple Podcasts. Just search Media Boat Podcast, uh, any of your podcast catchers uh, for the audio version. You can also catch us on our website, MediaBoatPodcast.com, and social media at Twitter. We're at, at Media Boat Cast. On Facebook, we're Media Boat Podcast. Just search us. On Twitter, uh, Twitch.tv, we stream video games every once in a while, twitch.tv slash mediavote. And lastly, if you want to help us out with money, patreon.com slash mediavote is where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us make content just like this. So tune in next week. We'll be back with part three of the Pixar Madness. But for now, we'll see you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. Uh, Be sure to check out the previous podcast or you can check out the next episode soon, right now. We'll